Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. So we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, an example of Jesus' teaching. We opened with a clever and memorable introduction, the Beatitudes, and we moved on to six propositions that exceed the law. Now today, we're going to look at six concrete actions to implement the law, beginning with the big three, the devotional pillars of Judaism, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, which, by the way, are also three principles that we as Christians observe during the season of Lent, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. So we begin with Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So if you're going to be generous, if you're going to do acts of righteousness, do them for the right reason. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Almsgiving, being generous, giving to the poor, giving to a hospital, giving to a needy cause, that's a good thing to do. But what are your motives for doing it? Remember the clever and memorable introduction? We went to motive. What's your motive for wanting to be in a right relationship with God? Is it for what God will give you? Or is it for God himself, who he is? Well, the same thing with, with almsgiving, with acts of charity and generosity. What's the motive? To make you look good in everyone else's eyes? Well, if God said that's your motive, good for you. You've got your reward. They put your name on the building. But if you have the proper motive, it's to care for that person in need or to support that charity in need, not to make you look better. Second is prayer. Prayer is a good thing. Prayer is simply talking with God. You know, we have all kinds of formal prayer, liturgical prayer, contemplative prayer, uh, any number of, of methods of praying. But prayer, at the very heart of it, is simply conversation with God. We listen to God through his word, as we're doing here on our podcast today, and we talk to God in prayer. I mentioned the Fiddler on the Roof, I think in the last podcast, uh, Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. And Tevye, one of the things I love about that movie is at every moment, Tevye is looking up toward the heavens, toward God. And at the beginning, at the opening of the, of the play, he says, would it be so wrong to just give me a little bit of wealth? And he's constantly turning to God and discussing things with him. That's real prayer. 
So here, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrites, by the way, the Greek is hypocrites, and it's the word for an actor. That is, someone who is wearing a mask, someone who's pretending to be someone they're not. And that's the most scathing criticism Jesus can have for anybody, calling them a hypocrite. You're an actor. You're a phony. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by everyone, to say, oh my, isn't he a holy fellow? I tell you the truth, they've re received their reward in full. Everybody will say, my, what a holy person he or she is. No. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. It's between you and God. It's not for other people to overhear. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Again, prayer is simply talking with God. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You don't have to blab on about it. You know, God always answers prayer. Always, 100% of the time. Many times his answer is no. Well, we might not understand that at the moment, but ultimately it was for our good. So then Jesus gives an example of how you should pray. And we refer to this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ never prayed this prayer. He said, this is how you should pray. And notice the prayer. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Every great prayer in the Bible has plural pronouns. It's not my Father in heaven. It's our Father in heaven. We live life in a relationship with God, not on our own. It's not me and God. It's us and God. We live in a community, in a family. We're part of the family of God. And the family is important. Every single great prayer in the Bible has plural pronouns. Think about that. You can't live a relationship with God all by yourself, me and God, nope us and God. And if we're part of the family, if he's the father, and we're sons and daughters of the father, then we're brothers and sisters to each other. We live this life together. I live my life into you. You live your life into me. Can't be helped. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, we don't use that word hallowed very much in modern English. Well, we have Halloween, but to be holy. Your name should be holy. That is set apart. Remember in the Ten Commandments? Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Oh, I have a funny story about that. 
Back in the uh, late 90s, I was invited to spend two weeks at Mepkin Abbey in South Carolina, a Trappist monastery. Not a big, not a famous monastery like Gethsemane, where Thomas Merton was from, but a uh, very humble place. There were only 20-some monks there at the time. Today, there are fewer than 13, and they're right on the edge of closing the monastery. The youngest of the monks is in the 70s. But uh, I was invited by the abbot, Father Christian Carr, to come to the monastery and teach scripture to the monks. Well, what am I going to teach Trappist monks about scripture? But he asked me to come, and I, I was happy to do so. In fact, I went every year for four or five years, right during Advent. I always loved looking forward to Advent and spending time with the Trappist at Mepkin Abbey. But... Uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was a wonderful place. Hallowed be your name. Father Christian Carr was a, quite the character. He had a long white beard. He wore bib overalls and uh, his, his Trappist habit over top of them. But, uh, you know, it was a small monastery. They, they, they needed to grow. And uh, so they built a guest house, a, a, a welcoming center with a, with a nice guest house. And I remember being there, sitting in a chair, a little plastic chair, out in front of my room, preparing that evening's lecture. And, uh, and the workmen were there on the A-frame uh, reception center. They were up on the roof. And they were workers from in town. And, and they were laughing and shouting at each other. And, uh, oh, my. And they, they were using some pretty foul language. And I was sitting there, and I, I thought, holy cow, what's going to happen here? And they were up on the roof saying, God damn this, and Jesus Christ that. And all of a sudden, I saw Father Christian, who was nearly 80 years old at the time, striding down the walkway, and he had fire in his eyes. And he got right on that ladder, climbed up to the top of the roof, the A-frame right at the top, and he sat down like a rooster on top, and he gestured the man over. And he said... And I was watching. I got closer. And he said to them, You know, I appreciate all the great work you're doing here. But I'm afraid I can't allow you to speak that way here at the monastery. Jesus Christ this and God damn that. No. You see, here we love that man. And you should have seen these construction workers looking down, their heads hung, they apologized. And I never heard another curse out of their mouth the rest of the time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be held in holiness. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom come, my will be done, but your kingdom come. Your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. I love that idea of being in the family of God, of God as our Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ as his only begotten Son, of us as adopted sons and daughters in the family, in a family that honors, loves, and obeys the Father, who has in our heart the best 
for God's family, for his kingdom and his will, not only in heaven, but here on earth. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Give us today our daily bread. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 30, let me turn the pages over here, beginning at verse 7. These are the sayings of Agur, son of Yakea, an oracle. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Well, I would think, give me riches, give me wealth. But no, nor poverty. You know, some of the bitterest people I've ever met are those who are very rich and those who are very poor. No, I don't want any of those. Give me only my daily bread. Why? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, eh, who needs the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Jesus picks right up on that in this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Not, please give me a fully funded 401k plan. No, just my daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts, because we have great debts to God. He's given us everything, the very breath of life. He's given us his son to die for us, that we might spend eternity with him. So forgive us our debts as we then have an obligation to forgive others. And lead us not into temptation. Well, I don't know if I have to worry so much about God leading me in temptation. I do pretty well on that all by myself. But, uh, you know, don't, don't let me go down that path. Don't. When I see that path of temptation, um, don't lead me in that direction. I know sometimes we're tested by God, but I'd prefer not. And deliver us from the evil one. The evil one who is behind that very temptation. Now, we, we studied already Jesus' temptation in the wilderness with Satan. It was a time of, 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 of trial, a time of wrestling with himself and with the enemy, and of defining his own identity and his mission in life. That's a tough thing. I don't think before Jesus' baptism that he was looking forward to that. I imagine he said to the Father, hey, please spare me that one if you could. 
But no, it's important for him. And sometimes it's important for us too. But nonetheless, deliver us from the evil one. We all love this prayer. And you know, the King James Version, 1611, we, we always pray, even today in church, we pray the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's a lovely prayer, especially in Shakespeare's English. And we continue. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you want God to forgive you your sins, you have to forgive the sins of others against you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, then your Father in heaven won't forgive yours. You know, it's a two-way street here. And the third devotional pillar of Judaism and of Lent, fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure themselves, their faces, as showmen, they're fasting. Tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. If you choose to fast, for we who are Christians during Lent, on Ash Wednesday, on Good Friday in particular, try it. Try, try fasting. A black fast. 24 hours. No food, no water, nothing. What's that do? It demonstrates your utter dependence upon God. You know, by the end, time that 24 hours is over, my gosh, you're hungry, and you want a, a drink of water and a nice meal. Some time ago, when I was teaching a class on Friday evenings at the Brentwood Presbyterian Church, there was a lovely restaurant. I drive up from San Diego every Friday, and... Uh, there was a wonderful restaurant, Osteria Latini. I love Italian food, my favorite. And this was a great little restaurant. And I would arrive up in West L.A. in Brentwood at, uh, oh, right around 5 o'clock uh, when the restaurant opened and class didn't start until 7. So I'd go and have dinner there pretty much every week. And uh, I was the first one in. Uh, I'd go in the restaurant. It was a little restaurant, family-owned. And... Uh, and I'd go in, they'd expect me, I always showed up about the same time. And uh, one, one Friday, I showed up right at five o'clock, and the place was packed. And I said to the owner, what's going on? And he said, well, Yom Kippur begins tonight when the sun goes down. 24 hours of fasting. So people come here, our two busiest days of the year are when Yom Kippur begins and when Yom Kippur is over, the Jewish community in Brentwood flocks to Osterio Latini before and after. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I did get in. He saved me my table. But uh, that, was, uh, that was a good example of uh, fasting. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces and, oh, look at me, I'm fasting. No. They've received their reward. We know you're a holy guy. You know, that enough. When you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it won't be obvious to men you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All three of these 
devotional pillars of Judaism and of Christianity. All three stem from motive. Why do you give to charity? Why do you give to the poor? Why do you pray? Why do you fast? Again, is it for public show? So other people can say, my, what a, what a holy person he or she is. No, it shall be between you and God. So Jesus continues, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, that's a pretty good closing line to this section. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what's truly important to a person, look at their checkbook. Where's the money going? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We're to be a light to the world. And how many people are there in your life who bring nothing but darkness to you? Now, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money's an important thing in our culture, in our society. We have to pay our bills. We have to educate our children. We have to make a living. But so many people make that the focus of their life. So many people make money the standard, the measuring line of their worth. No, you're not going to take it with you. If I reach in my pocket and I take out some cash, here we are, I had some $20 bills and some 10s. It has no inherent value. It's simply a piece of paper. You, you can't serve both God and that. If you spend your whole life building up your estate, oh, we, we'll spend time with Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything was meaningless. Everything Solomon did was to increase his wealth and power and position. And in the end, it meant nothing. We have a choice. It's a matter of priority. Either God or the secular values of the world. So I tell you, continues Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you? 
by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Well, this is a pretty good section of the Sermon on the Mount for those of us who have passed through nearly a year of COVID who perhaps have been unemployed since March, now for, what, 10 months? And it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. And we worry. We're anxious. I am. I can tell you that for sure. I'm anxious. I'm stressed out. The, the carpet's been pulled out from under us. And we don't know where to turn. That's a natural worry. But put it in context. You know, as I noted earlier in Monday's podcast, I think it was, we step onto the stage of life, we walk across that stage, and we step off. What do we do in our pilgrimage of life? We worry about this, we worry about that. We talked about motive, about the motive for serving God. Is it for what you get or for who he is? Even with COVID, let's put it in perspective. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? In fact, you'll probably take off hours from your life. And why worry about clothing? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all this splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what do, what do we eat? What do we drink? What should we wear? Pagans run after all these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. He'll provide. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Make that be your priority. And all these other things will come along. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, that brings us right up to the end of chapter 6. And one more to go. Judging others. And then a conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. That's a good place to stop here on a Friday at the beginning of 2021. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. All the rest will follow. I hadn't planned on stopping at this point, but reading this, that's a good way to end this week. Put this whole COVID episode in perspective. This too shall pass. I remember saying that to my Latin teacher in 10th grade when it came to the final exam, this too shall pass. And he, Mr. DeVito, said to me, yes, it will. But the question is, will you? <laughs> well, here we are at the end of the week, ending on a good note. On Monday, we'll pick right up at chapter 7, finish off the Sermon on the Mount, 
and make our way through the gospel according to Matthew. Hey, thank you for being with me. It's always great being here with you and sharing scripture, sharing God's word, and sharing our community here together on Scripture Uncovered. Three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and we're approaching our 100th episode, not next week, but the week after. So let your friends know. Tell people it's all free. Just sign up for it, and, and we'll spend our time together three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, each and every week. Blessings to you. Bye-bye now, gang. See you next week.